0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working On Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working On Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez.
2: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I have done over the last 14 years and now complements the work I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first let me say thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thanks, Jobbing.com. Great partnership. Last week, we were on the air with Karen Kaufman of Kaufman Partners, talking about the importance of relationship management and impressions management to achieve business results. Karen gave specific areas to focus on, including our clothing and grooming habits and manner and volume of speech, and talked about some of the ways we can stand out and how we are perceived by others to have the impact we want. For this week's conversation, with me is Dr. Jeremy McMillan, president of Grayson College in Denison, Texas. We'll be talking about how and why he chose a career in education, what Grayson College is doing to respond to some governing trends in education, and some initiatives he and his team are working on to impact student achievement and entering the workforce productively. Dr. McMillan, it's great to have you with me. Welcome to Working On Purpose.
3: Thanks, Elise. I appreciate being here.
2: I have been going to school for much of my life, kind sir, so I'm very, very happy I'd have the tables turned and I get to talk with you and ask you questions about education because usually it's somebody else asking me about education. So great to have you here. Just to get us started, will you just introduce yourself and say a little bit about your role as president of Grayson College?
3: So I am the fifth president of our college. I've been the president since the um, middle of, of 2012. I am honored to be able to serve this college as we have about uh, forty five hundred students here at the college and serve um, students that are intending to transfer to university but also into the workforce uh, and so very um very excited about the team and our work that we have here uh, and in really making an impact on our community and and we are a two year college um, and again located north of you north of Dallas, about uh, about an hour hour and a half mm
2: hmm and I'm a bit of a history buff. i like to know how things get started. I, of course, I looked at your website, and I know a little bit of something about your past, but our listeners probably don't. So how and why was the college founded?
3: So a group of concerned uh, citizens in the mid-1960s uh, voted to establish a community college. You look at the community college movements across the United States, and you see a few of those starting in the early part of last century, uh, and then some right after World War II. Uh, and then uh, quite a few, actually, and if you look at Texas, maybe even most started in the, in the 60s. Um, and so our college is no different than that. Our local tax base uh, voted this into being, and so construction started immediately. Uh, we just celebrated our 50th year last year, so we're in our 51st year. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience ever since. I was reading through our, uh, you talk about history, I have some of our old history, Our our um annuals and uh they expected a few uh few hundred students and there were several hundred more than they anticipated even that first semester so there was a demand uh for that. Um and the the idea of the community college is to provide access to all students to, to have a desire for education. And so in our case today we currently provide access to G D or E S L uh, also access to students who already have those, who are entering a degree program. Uh even Uh, students who have degrees already and want to come back and be trained. In fact, we see many people with bachelor's degrees or even more advanced degrees come back for some of our technical programs because they want to have a mid-year change in their career. So the vision for that was created well over 50 years ago, and I'm glad to stand on the shoulders of those who um, had that wisdom and and, am proud of our county for supporting us for that history.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would be proud, too. And I I do think the fact that you're just the fifth president is pretty remarkable in and of itself.
3: Yeah, I uh, i have, into my fifth year here, uh, my predecessor, Dr. Alan Schaubmeyer, I believe served 16 years. Uh, but you see that uh, many people come here and they like what we do here and, and want to stay uh, and are committed to that vision and that passion uh, for that. And so very, uh, very pleased about that.
2: Well, and so speaking of that, Dr. McMillan, I, I can't help myself. My listeners who've been hearing me for a while know that I can't help myself, but I'm a meaning and work researcher. So I have to first next know, I guess next know, why did you pursue a career in higher education?
3: So I am the first in my family to obtain a college degree. Uh, uh, in the past, mm. I would share with people that was the first in my family to start college. Uh, but I learned that my mother started at Grayson College, actually, one semester before I did. Um, and I was still in high school the semester she began. Uh, she did that as a recently divorced uh, mother. I saw the difference it was making for her. She provided a good model for me. Uh, and so I started pursuing my own uh, education. And very, uh, v- my life is radically different because of that. I um, have my son who's 10 years old has traveled to more uh places than i had by the time i was 30 years old so i see the impact it has on on his life and and what that means for his life chances and what it what it's meant for me to be able to be a a, a very active and contributing member of my community uh, to make a difference for students and in particular community colleges uh, really excite me because we get to st- uh, see students move from wherever they are uh again pre-GED, um, on to uh, we, we have students that are now, in this, since I've even been here, moved into graduate programs uh, and, and that sort of thing to, uh, at other institutions, of course. But I get to see that that amount of change uh, with individuals, and that, that amount of change is really exciting to me, and, and being able to know that that has an impact not only on the individual Uh, who's obtaining the education, but also their families, their immediate families uh, today and right now, but then for generations. And and being connected to that and and allowing people to have that power. Education is something that people can't take away from you, uh, and I just want to give that to others as others were able to give that to me, and that's that's why I do what I do. I want to connect our students to a more promising future.
2: Hmm. You know, you remind me, Dr. McMillan, that I am a product of community college. I didn't start college until I was 24. I'm from a family of of strong entrepreneurs who weren't really looking at education. And I didn't know to go after it until I would spent a little bit of time bumbling along in the workforce and then found my way and went to Portland Community College for two years and got my associates and had an incredibly wonderful, fulfilling launch to my educational career and I can Now I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I can only imagine how fulfilling it must be, because I certainly did completely turn my life around by going to college.
3: Well, you need to reach out to that community college and let them know. It sounds like you're a very successful woman, and they need to learn that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, they do call me asking for money. Does that count?
3: <laughs> well, the, you, you have more ways to show your talent than your dollars. Of course, if you feel so um, uh, inclined to liberate yourself from your money, that's good for the school as well. <laughs>
2: Right, 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 right. There's always that. Yeah. Um, another thing that you mentioned when you were talking about why you chose this career, you talked about really being able to impact your community. And I noticed that you serve on numerous boards. Really, I lost count after a while. So obviously civic engagement is important to you. Um, why is it important to you first? And then I want to ask why you chose the organizations that you chose.
3: Yeah, so if if um, you want to change this world um the, the way to do that is not to theorize about it, although that certainly helps to frame your action, but you need to actually take action and, and become involved and start to see the connections. Uh, it, I, you know, I do serve on a variety of local boards, state boards, and, and national boards, but they're all connected. And, and in fact, I, I don't serve on a global board that I'm aware of, but we are really live in a global society. So if you want to know and, and work on the challenges we have, um, get involved. Get involved locally. Um, start to understand the people that you're trying to impact. Uh, and, and that's really the best way, um, I, I believe, the best way to, to do that. And the other piece, as president, to be able to use um, the position and the role uh, to bring others to the table that will engage and will uh, help move your community forward, I think is very important. And so with that, I know you wanted to ask me about the the. Organizations I'm involved in. I'm curious which ones you are more interested in, but uh, I'll let you ask that question. Well,
2: well, one certainly um, that I'm interested in is is um, the Commission on Workforce and Economic Development for the American Association of Community Colleges. That one certainly is very, very pertinent to my my world. Of course, in the world of work and meaning and developing careers, organizational uh, alignment, productivity.
3: So that is, uh, the American Association of Community Colleges um, has a board, and then there are commissions that give that board advice, and so that's what I happen to serve on is one of those commissions. And they're very focused on specific areas. Uh, And so in this case, it's economic and workforce development. And our college, uh, Grayson College, has um, about half of our programs dedicated towards uh, the workforce. And so welding, um, uh, air condition repair, Uh, culinary arts, uh, health sciences. We have a nursing program, radiology program, those sort of programs. And in our community, we have a program. uh, We've started this program called the Texoma Middle Skills Project, which is about connecting uh, people in our community to the jobs that may not traditionally uh, be thought of as... um, living wage types of jobs but that actually really are uh, those types of jobs and uh, my involvement at the national level uh, emerged out of my involvement with our college at the local level and again just wanting to be able to take action and communicate the importance of um, connecting people that are in education to ultimately a career. Everyone in education no matter what your degree is uh, PhD in philosophy um, ultimately is going to go to work Um, and so uh what, what better way to um, to contribute to our, our community and our competitiveness as a global uh, society than to make sure that the work that we're connected to is relevant to the challenges of your local community, to the challenges at a national level, um, and, and all in between. And so that's really what that commission is about, and uh, making sure that that voice is heard at the national level so that policies – are developed that support colleges' work to be able to do that. And uh, you see a lot of those things happening in the state of Texas and actually all across the country. And so I'm very proud to know about that and, and also uh, to be a supporter of that.
2: Um, how much time do you think you spend between all your the boards that you serve on? I was just curious, looking at the list, how, mu- how many hours a week do you think you spend on your board work?
3: Well, it's interesting. Some of the board... Um, Activities occur all during the same week, so the uh, I'm on the local United Way and also our local uh, workforce board, um, and those actually occur on the same day. And so that that takes my entire after- lunch and entire afternoon uh, once every uh, month or every other month for those particular boards. Uh, in my case, I, when especially when it's a local board that work is not only about service to that board but also bringing the colleges um the opportunities the colleges presents there so it is work of the college as well so it's not detached from um from our work I, you know maybe if i calculated all the hours i spent on that i would <laughs> I might might be depressed, but again, <laughs> you, you have to uh, realize it's not easily separated from my role as president because uh, the college is such a part of the community. And the relationships I build there help us to help our students and help us to help our businesses in our area. Uh, and, and so uh, sometimes though, like the national board, so later in November here, I'll be gone for a couple of days for that. And so it It varies. I'm also on a statewide uh, board, uh, and I see uh, that you have some interest in uh, those sources of revenue that we have. I spend a good deal of time on that group as well, uh, because that particular agenda is very important for our college, and so all of it is in very much alignment with the work of the college.
2: Mm -hmm. I see these synergies entirely, completely, Jeremy, sorry, Dr. McMillan, I I I shouldn't call you Jeremy. I don't know you just yet, but um, I see the synergies entirely, and I I think it's really smart when when a professional can align their board work with what they do professionally and and get some synergies out of that. I hear people all the time saying, how can I get on this board? How how can I do this? Or how can I find one and be of service? Um, So did you choose these boards, or did they find you? Yes. <laughs>
3: yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, they're they're very much in line with um, with my work and my career. But um, also, you you find yourselves at conversations where um, these individuals are, and so it's a natural thing that they would ask you to to be in service to them. And so it's it's a little bit of both. Uh,
2: i got to ask one quick selfish question for myself. Um, um, I have done work over the years with nonprofits who, who, who have worked with me and consult with me, and uh, we'll, be do, we'll be helping one here in just a couple of weeks. So what would you say does it take to be a high-performing board member?
3: So initially, and, and actually always, in fact, if you can't do this, please don't be in the service to the board because you're not really <clears throat> helping them. You you really truly have to engage and participate in the activity of the board. Understand what the role of the board is. Uh, Many roles, many boards have different roles. And so, if you're on a fundraising board, that's really uh, board members are expected to actually go out and make asks. Know that before you get um, involved, so that you can fully engage and participate in that. Uh, Additionally, I think you have to care about the work of that organization, uh, so that people people know when you're authentically. Um, aligned with the work of that board, and so make sure that that's, um, that's in alignment. Uh, but that, and that also helps it, helps you to feel um, better about your service to that board and not feel disconnected from the work. So truly engage, do the work. If there's a board packet in advance, uh, read that, and engage it, ask good questions. Make sure you pay attention to the finances uh, because many times uh, these nonprofit boards have trouble with the finance side. So there's some things you can bring if that's your skill set. Make sure your skill set shines through in the board uh, and that you uh, give that gift uh, to them. Uh, And when you see other opportunities where maybe you need somebody that's a marketing expert, but no one on the board is that, well, don't try to become a marketing expert. Recruit a board member that knows marketing that can help you go in the right direction. So just, again, one word, engage.
2: Okay. Sounds good to me, Dr. McMillan. Time for a break. I'm your I'm your host, Elise Cortez, who have been on the air with Dr. Jeremy McMillan, who is president of Grayson College in Denison, Texas. We've been talking a bit about his entrance into the field of education and what he's doing and why the work is meaningful to him. After the break, we're going to start talking a bit about some trends in higher education and how Grayson College is responding to them. Stay with us.
1: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez.
2: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Jeremy McMillan, president of Grayson College in Denison, Texas. Dr. McMillan also serves on several local, state, and national boards, including the Commission on Workforce and Economic Development for the American Association of Community Colleges. He joins us today from Denison, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we were talking a bit about how it is that you entered the field of education, a bit about your background and what the college does. Next, Dr. McMillan, I would love to be able to share with our listeners some trends that that I've noticed in higher higher education. I, I got it from reading an article that that um, uh, one of the consulting companies released, and I thought they were quite interesting. So. When I was looking at the at the article, there were there were five things that uh, that they talked about. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about them all here on the air. But one of the first trends that they talked about here is how revenue from key sources is continuing to fall, which of course puts many institutions at severe financial risk. Everybody these days talks about money, and it seems like the scarcity of it, or how can I get more of it. Um, curious to know what are you and Grayson College doing to address that trend.
3: So uh, in our in our case, we look at a multi-year budget to make sure that uh, we build into that budget the expectations of what we see in the trends. Um, locally, or, or at our college, we have three primary sources of funding. One is um, state, uh, state dollars. Um, the other is a local tax levy that supports our college. And then the third is uh, tuition dollars. And you talk about changes in those uh, trends. I've been president, and I'm in my fifth year of service, and so um, when I arrived, those were basically equally split across all the different categories. But the state dollars have gone to about 25% of my entire budget, um, and whereas the others have adjusted upwards. And so we see that um, happening as states have challenges with their budget um, and how we can uh, can address that. Uh, so my my perspective on that is you've got to know what's happening within the environment and do the best that you can with the resources you have, and and actually we're being called to do more and more um, with less. And so uh, sometimes actually looking at the revenue sources uh, causes you to think about some of the strategic things that are happening within your organization and think about how you can get to a similar result in terms of number of students that graduate um, perhaps more efficiently. And so all of those things are required uh, in order to continue to to survive as a as college. Another thing that you see in some of these um, uh, reports about severe financial risk as institutions, more and more of, of some of the liabilities that are on the uh, really on the books in, in case of the state of Texas, it's a state obligation to help pay for, uh, for example, retirement benefits. They're asking us to take those and at least reflect those in our books. And so it looks like there's more financial risk um, there than there were in prior years. It's just an accounting change um, that's occurring as well. Um, So there there are a lot of things that are shifting uh, within that world. And on the financial risk side, without getting too geeky or nerdy about the finance side, uh, we recently uh, are are in the process of refinancing a bond um, to uh, substantially uh, uh, reduce the rate of uh, interest and save the college uh, close to $4 million. So you have to go through ratings agency to be able to explore um, the strength and weakness of your organization. In Texas, um, we're very blessed to have a robust economy. And so those agencies that would fund us are very uh, positive about that. And so that's a that's a blessing that we have at Grayson College that you may not have in some of the areas of the, of the nation. Uh, so it, you've got to know your local facts on the ground, make sure that uh, you adjust your sales accordingly and do the best you can with the resources that you have for your students. I'm happy to say, in our case, um, that review actually led to an increase in our in our ratings, bond rating. And and so it's possible even in really tough times to be able to, um, to have a strong outlook. Um, and, and they actually introduced some new things in the system to put your finances under some level of stress. And, again, our college survived that uh, pretty well. Not all colleges do, but you, you've got to be smart about that and, and manage your finances as well.
2: That's really actually quite interesting. I would love to know more, but of course, we won't have time to be able to delve into it deeper, but beautiful narration for us, Dr. McMillan, help us kind of understand the financial mechanics, if you will. So awesome. And, and then related to that, on the other side, the second trend that, that we saw in this, in this article was were that the demands are rising for a greater return on investment in higher education. Um, just curious again, how, what, how are you addressing that? How do you respond to that?
3: So I, I was curious, and I, I wish I would have read the article. Um, one of the things that we do here is the question is, is higher education worth it? In other words, is there a return on investment? And right now, the question about that is almost exclusively related to the individual seeking an education, which is fascinating to me, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But if you look at um, the... The the results, Uh, if you have an education, you're much less likely to be unemployed in times of financial uh, crisis uh, for our state or our nation. Uh, You're also much more likely to have a higher earnings over your lifetime by a substantial amount, depending on what level of education you obtain, and more importantly, perhaps, what education you pursue. In other words, what field you particularly go into. Is it aligned with what's really valued in the marketplace uh, today? So that's a, uh, a question that seems to be rising more and more and more. The reason I mentioned what you mean by return on investment is, you know, we we can't only educate people that are going to go into jobs that are um, high-paying jobs. What would we do with um, teachers or social workers or actually police officers, a whole series of services um, that are important to keep our communities going? There is a return on investment to education that is community-wide that's, that's um, uh, broader than that that impacts the individual. So in my community, we've had a nursing program for 50 years. My nursing faculty can tell you exactly, but we've educated over 3,700 nurses. Again, they can tell you 3749 or however many that is. But our our healthcare community in our region is directly related to how well we do in educating those individuals. How fast can you obtain uh, service at your local doctor, for example? Uh, well, is that a return on investment for the individual? Absolutely, but it's also easier to live here. I, I lived in another region of the state, and a simple office visit was uh, two hours, even if you had an appointment. Here, I'm able to get in uh, in relatively quick manner of time, and not just because I'm, I happen to be the president of the college. So return on investment, I believe, needs to consider more things than just um, the the individual. And when you look at it, More broadly, uh, it's also about quality of life that you enjoy, Uh, not just the individual, but uh, if not everyone in your region is educated, 65% of the people that will be pursuing work in our state need some form of education beyond high school. Currently, in our region, that's about 55% hold that sort of education. So if we don't have that, we're going to lose out competitively in the global marketplace. And so return on investment is a very complex question.
2: It really is, and I appreciated you coloring that for us because it really is complicated I'm I realize you could probably spend the whole show talking about that, so <laughs> <laughs> um well then the next trend that they that they talked about in the article that i I think is also interesting too, and you've talked a little bit about it already, but it's this notion of wanting or needing a greater transparency about student outcomes becoming more the norm,
3: yeah, um, so. That is something that we have been seeing and hearing, and it's also impacting uh, the policy at the national level. Um, For example, The number of semesters you're eligible for federal financial aid has decreased. And so at our college, we have a strategic planning goal to decrease the amount of time it takes to obtain a degree or decrease the amount of hours it takes to obtain a degree. Our hours to obtain a degree is higher than the number of hours actually in the degree on average, and so is the time. Part of that is driven by people changing their minds and or them attending part-time. But the reality is, um, if I don't do that successfully, uh, students will be uh, three-fourths of the way towards their degree if they don't have financial aid for the last year, for example. And so it, not only is the call for that happening, but the policies that are in, in place are shaping that uh, to happen. And so some of the values we hold about education are shifting uh, in, in ways that, you know, we we believe it's important to have a student explore areas of the curriculum. Well, you, we're being told very clearly through these policies, you can't do that. So we've got to figure out how do you have more clarity earlier for people and what their path is and make sure that they stay on that path and don't veer away from that and that they're able to make progress towards a degree. And so at our college, we have um, what I'm calling 2020 by 2020, that is 2020 graduates by the year 2020 on an, on an annual basis. And that's a very heavy lift that my team actually set that goal, um, and it's going to require us to do amazing things as a college. It's that's uh, On average, we have about 1,400, 1,500 students doing that on an annual basis. So by 2020, it's not very far away. So we're going to have a heavy lift to get there that's going to require not only my college but the community at large to support us. So that's another reason I'm involved in these boards. I can't help students with all the challenges they have. They they lose transportation or they lose child care. They lose it. Those are things that I have to reach out and partner with our, our community on. And so being transparent about those outcomes helps us to make decisions that, that are better for our students and better for the college. The challenge, the, the, the challenge with some of those calls is sometimes they're not from a pure place in people's heart and it hurts uh, some of the faculty in terms of uh, the perception that we're not doing what we need to do. Uh, I can tell you unabashedly that my faculty and and all faculty I've interacted with care deeply about their students and their desire to succeed. So I think we're all on the same page if we're really pure about what our outcomes are and and changing and transforming students' lives. Uh, And we welcome that accountability. In Texas, we have – Performance funding for our students um, the students uh, funding from the state level, and that's us putting our mouth uh, our money where our mouth is in terms of student outcomes.
2: I can so appreciate what you're saying here, Dr. McMillan. I, I do teach as an adjunct for Southern Methodist University. I teach various communication and work and career oriented courses. And I feel what you're saying from the other from the other side, from the inside place, and appreciate that kind of pressure that you're under and you your team is under. So just wanted to acknowledge that.
3: Thank you for that. Yeah.
2: Um all right so the fourth trend that that this article talked about is and and this is quite interesting to me too is just the whole notion of new business and delivery models are gaining traction new ways of of delivering education um and you spoke about some of the programs that you offer to really help your your students enter the workforce but what would you say to that trend with regard to what Grayson is doing
3: so um, I, I assume when you say new business or delivery models, you may be speaking of MOOCs, massive online open courses, yes, or prior yes. learning um, assessments, or yes. uh, th- those sorts of things. And so uh, if you read the news, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when MOOCs were, were really hot, that was going to take over the world and we were going to uh, – that was going to become the norm for universities. Uh, that had not happened quite the way that it was uh, envisioned at that point, but it has had an impact on uh, our thinking about how to um, how to adjust ourselves, if you will, for meeting student needs. So at Grayson College, for example, uh, we haven't uh, engaged in MOOCs, but we've um, looked at prior learning that students come to us with and have started um, giving credit for that. So, in one case, uh, we have a program called uh, that, that's associated with our veterans program called College Credit for Heroes. And that program looks at veterans and, and says, okay, you're a veteran. You had training while you were in the military. Uh, and that training was to be a, a welder, for example. Well, we're going to take that, and uh, we may ask you to do welding for a, a little bit as a, as a m- minor test. But we may give you credit for several hours of your work, maybe even one semester of work, if you already have that knowledge and skill set, uh, why would we make you do that all over? So they accelerated their career, accelerated them to be able to obtain a degree. Um, and, and it really helped them to get to the marketplace faster. They They've been um, you know, sometimes very professional welders, but they don't have that credential. Well, this helps them to be able to do that. We've done that uh, with that program, with our nursing program, with our occupational safety program, uh, and this is actually a movement across the state that uh, our workforce commission has been very supportive of, and we've been very engaged in that. And so, I do think that you see those sorts of questions being asked, challenging the basic assumptions we've had. The time in a class. Uh, the amount of time you spend in a class actually is what matters most. Um, and that that's the assumption that's been in play for a number of years, and that's what drives much of our funding strategy from the state level um, and so on. We're starting to see uh, the the water break, if you will, and uh, try to figure out how do we adapt to different modes and, and delivery systems. And I think you're going to see um, multiple adaptations to that over time.
2: Fascinating. Very fascinating. Yes, I do remember when there was the, that huge conversation about, you know, the, the, the massive online courses are going to take over how we, how we get educated. And I remember thinking to myself, really, is that, is that really going to be viable? Is that really going to produce the results that we want? I, I very much remember that, that particular yeah. time.
3: You do see that happening in some areas. So, for example, in the information technology area, there are all these certificates and coding camps and those sort of things. So some of those are, are gaining legitimacy in ways that, um, that, similar to what I talked about with the veterans training prior, and colleges are looking at that and saying, can you do this? Do you have the competency to be able to do this? And if you do, come on in and we'll, we'll help accelerate you to the, to the next level.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And I, I can certainly envision other other uh, other means or avenues where that might really take hold. And probably because I teach things like communication and um, <laughs> how to find your, your, your most favorite and productive job. It just seems hard for me to imagine that. But I can certainly see the, the leverage in some of the areas like you just mentioned. Fascinating. Well, believe it or not, Dr. McMillan, we've already run up, to run up to our next break already. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Dr. Jeremy McMillan, who is president of Grayson College at Denison, Texas. We've been talking about some of the trends in higher education and how Grayson is responding. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the initiatives that Dr. McMillan and his team are working on and what he's doing as a leader in his, in his community and at the college. Stay with us.
1: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez.
2: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Jeremy McMillan, president of Grayson College in Denison, Texas. Dr. McMillan also serves on several local, state, and national boards, including the Commission on Workforce and Economic Development for the American Association of Community Colleges. He joins us today from Denison, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we were just covering four of the five trends in that article. Dr. McMillan, I wanted to hit the last one, if we can. And that is this notion of the globalization of education is accelerating. And the article talked about, of course, how students are much more mobile. And I'm interested in this in part, frankly, because, one, I I consider myself a planetary citizen and I love to travel. And this show was listened to literally all over the world. So your perspective about the globalization of education with regard to Grayson?
3: So I'm going to take you back to a time where I worked at the university. I worked at Texas A&M University Commerce, and I recall at that time, and this was in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I recall the president uh, being invited to China to talk about education, and uh, we thought that this was about um, us being able to teach there and and those sort of things, and I I actually don't even recall if the president uh, of of A&M Commerce went, but I do recall hearing news back that uh, they'd invited people to uh, China to share with them that we appreciate the education provided, but in less than a decade, we're going to invest substantially in education, and that the best university in the world will be in China, um, and so that that sort of competitiveness is certainly there uh, and has been there. I, I'm reflecting about the uh, the uh, there's a there's a video out there that talks about the globalization of education and and how in STEM education in particular that it, countries like India have more honor students in the STEM areas than we have entire majors in the STEM areas, and so there is this. Um, global talent that uh, is at play for uh, for all of uh, all of the world to use uh, and for all of us to be in competition with and so we play on that stage uh, we don't control the stage as much as we once did and so we do live in that global society um, so that's I think uh, important in in ways that that I don't know that we fully imagine yet I mentioned earlier in the the show that 65% of the jobs in my county, not some place somewhere else, will require college education beyond um, high school. And we've actually had a trend over time of increasing the education level of our population, and that is an amazing thing. The reality is many other countries have uh, done that faster than us, and so we find ourselves needing to catch up, and, and so some of the areas... That you uh, would see us at the top of every list. In Uh, we are we're not necessarily at the top of the list um, anywhere everywhere now. Uh, How does that relate to Grayson College uh, and the work that we do? Again, we're very connected to our local communities, um, and and this notion that education is something that's uh, mobile and students pursue um, through multiple venues. So I'll give an example from us it's not uncommon that a student would come to us with four or five transcripts now, most of those will be local colleges other than Grayson um and then our students are also going to the other colleges so that tells you that people are not seeking education necessarily at one institution but they're um they're actually seeking that through um uh, uh, the what I call the higher education ecosystem. so how do you put that together and have it make sense that in a way that Drives our our economy and our communities. Um, so, so that's something locally. Now, I, we do have a large number—I uh, say large number—we have forty or fifty students that are international students here, and that's very important to us at, at Grayson College because it brings a perspective to our community for students who may not have the opportunity to travel like you or I do. Um, in our classrooms, and so that's that's very important. The other thing I'm seeing as a trend in community colleges, which is fascinating to me. We're not doing this at Grayson, but other colleges in the state and, and nation are, uh, is those colleges, community colleges, two-year colleges that serve their local community, setting up colleges in um, other countries. And so that's a fascinating uh, development um, to, to watch unfold as well. So this idea of globalization is... Um, very important for us to understand that we can't continue to do the things that we've always done. That we have to be able to compete globally. Mm.
2: Wow, well, I that is that whole description that you just gave there. I could engage on so many levels there, Doctor McMillan. Uh, really appreciated that perspective, and also what you said about enjoying having international students there on your campus. I can completely understand how that changes and informs the experience of your fellow students. Just that point alone is fascinating. So thank you for that. Awesome. Um, so for the next question I wanted to ask you, I'm as a person who works in organizational transformation and, and certainly organizational development, I'm really interested in some of the initiatives that you and your team are working on. I'd love to hear, have you share maybe, some of them that maybe are most exciting to you.
3: And at Grayson College, we have... Um... Uh, Again, I mentioned 2020 by 2020, that's 2020 completers or graduates a year by the year 2020. That's a heavy lift for us. And so in order to get to that point, we have some very strategic choices to make, and those choices involve how we spend our time. And we've chosen to evaluate the data and determine places where we excel and places where we could do better, and in, in, in... Many ways the opportunities and or initiatives I'm going to talk about line up with uh, honestly places we excel, but also places we could do better. So the first one is course completion. So we're an in achieving the dream college, which achieving the dream is a national movement, uh, reform movement movement to have colleges do better on delivering uh, on the promise of student success. Uh, We're members of that, have been for several years now. Uh, We look at ourselves in comparison to those colleges that are members of this effort, and we find that we are um, very competitive, actually do better than many of those colleges, with the exception of course completions with uh, A's, B's, and C's. And so um, we were very honest about that and started diving into that and trying to understand What's happening there? So how can you have a better graduation rate and retention rate and these other things, but your course completions are not as good as others? So we just started diving into that, and that's been an initiative or a focus over the last, really, year and a half, two years. And um, because of some of the work of our teams, uh, and there are many things that went into this, we've seen this last year, the highest course completion rate in uh, a decade, the highest retention rate from fall to spring or fall to fall within 16 years, for example. So amazing results uh, because you focus on um, a particular challenge. And so what have we done? Well, one thing that we've done, which is interesting to me, we asked students or we ask faculty to take attendance. And so we're at a college, and we're asking students to take attendance. Um, I mentioned earlier that I believe that all faculty want students to learn. Um, I, I, when I was, was a faculty member, uh, adjunct member, I, I would tell my students, hey, you can come to class or not. and If you can pass it without coming, then that's fine. Well, actually, that's not working out too well for us here. So we asked students to, to attend class, and we took note of that and then shared that information with faculty within departments and ask them to take action that made sense to them. I can't know what every department needs to do. Departments know that. The faculty can talk about that as the semester is going. Maybe we're having trouble with some uh, mathematical uh, function in all of our developmental classes at this point of the semester, so we need to do a workshop on that. Well, I can't be that detailed, but the faculty can and because of that work and them uh, doing that on an ongoing basis, I believe, is why we have this high success rate in, in courses. I had a visit with a faculty member this morning and said, you know, one of my concerns is when we talk about that is that we're sending an, a message, even though we say this is not the message we want to uh, send, that, okay, we'll just inflate the grades. If that's all we've done, we failed. we failed our students. we failed ourselves. We need to hold students accountable to the level of rigor that we expect in the courses, but also support them to be successful in that endeavor. And so I really want us to make sure that that's what we're doing. And I feel confident that that's what we're doing at Grayson College. And I'm proud of the results that we've seen uh, so far from our efforts on course completions and being able to move the needle uh, forward in that regard.
2: Mm. I just wanted to speak to what you said there about about holding your students accountable for for the, for the quality and what they need to do. I, I really resonate with that, Dr. McMillan, because I can tell you that for me, in my experience of of being an educator, that students rise to the level of the bar that you set for them, and I I they they seem to really appreciate when you expect and and uh, know that they can meet that, that they are called to that, and that you don't let them slide. Um, that letting them slide is cheating, and I I really appreciate that perspective and just saying that. And I can really I really resonate with that among many other things that you said there, around completion so the, rates.
3: So the flip side of that, it's fascinating if you listen to employers who talk about students who lack soft skills, uh, those sort of things. They don't come to college having those skills either. We are uh, we are charged to teach it. We wish they would have all of those things when they arrive. right, as a faculty member. <laughs> You wish that would be the case. Yeah. We have to go to where they're at and help them get to where we want them to be. And so um, that, that's really our role as, as educators is transforming them.
2: Hmm. Yeah, you, you literally are transforming lives one by one. That's what you're doing.
3: So you want me to share about a couple of other initiatives that we have going on?
2: Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to hear a few more things. I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is is really showcasing the business of education. How is it actually done? So yes, please.
3: So we're a part of a statewide initiative, um, and there is a national initiative called um, actually American Association of Community Colleges Pathways Initiative. We're part of a statewide initiative uh, called Pathways, and and Pathways means. Um, different things to different colleges, but in our case, it's that we're very focused on helping students to to, um, start right, engage in learning, and finish uh, what they start on time. And at our college, I mentioned earlier that it's taking, on average, it takes a little over four years to complete the degree. Um, It's a two-year degree. Now, many of our students are part-time students. In fact, 75% of our students are part-time students. The other piece is it takes... Uh, 88 hours for a student to complete a degree at Grayson College, and that's a 60-hour degree now. In, the, in many cases, it used to be longer than that. That was recently revised down by the state, so now it's all of our degrees are 60 hours, uh, in some cases or less. And so it's very important for us to to shrink the time and the number of hours that it takes students to get a degree uh, because we need them to build momentum and, and progress to moving on towards the university or on to the world of work and so pathways is about making sure that we've designed um, the science curriculum for example my science faculty took the uh, the basic classes in the sciences and said, what are the commonalities here and what if we have a student that comes in and they want to be a biology major at a university but then they shift over and they want to be a physics major what are the things that we can advise them to take that that They don't get down this path 20 hours of credit, and they have to start all over, and they have to go back up the path and take those hours over again and and that sort of thing. That requires us to be very clear about what options students have available to them at our college. It also requires us to be aware of what happens to them before they come to our college and the high schools, Um, and then what are the universities requiring after they leave um, our college, and so if it was just an issue of our college, that Pathways is really, um, it's not easy, but it's easier. But the Pathways is about making sure that our higher education ecosystem and our place in it is aligned to best serve our students. And so we are evaluating every piece of that to make sure that students are able to make progress and not um, unnecessarily enrolling in classes. So uh, better advising, making sure that they're on track, um, actually spending our time with our students in a smarter manner. Uh, one example on advising, we uh, we would see all students that were students here at the college, um, even if they were on track. And so they they said they were in this degree path, and they are. Um, they were a full time student last semester. They did they made all A's in that class. When well, we may ask them to come in and see us again. Uh, well. They're already on track. They're enrolled in the right classes. We should send them affirmations of great job and keep going. But take the time we would have spent with them, uh, especially if they're, they really are on track, and spend with students that are off track. And so we're redesigning our computer information system to be able to support that um, high-tech, high-touch approach with our students. We're not there yet. Um, again, we are going to a new computer software, our old computer software was more than 20 years old, and wow. so it's really taken a lot of energy for us to, to hit reset and get some of the foundational work of that done, but our vision is that we would make sure that students were on the right path or that we were informing them when they weren't, but then they knew they were actually in an exploratory mode and uh, make sure that they had some clarity about what they were going to pursue, and so we're we're pleased about the progress we're making already in this regard, but we look for more things to come uh, in the Pathways movement. Mm.
2: There's, again, so many things we could talk about there. We're getting coming to a close of the show here, so I just want to give you a chance. i like to be able to give my my uh, guest a little bit of the last word, if you will. Um, could you maybe, just in, say, maybe 30 seconds or so, share a little bit about the legacy you hope to leave as a leader?
3: So I, I would say that... Um, I I want to leave a legacy that balances the head and the heart. Um, The work we do is about transforming lives through education and giving that gift not only for the student but the community around them and then their future generations. And that is incredibly important and powerful work. But that work, because of the challenges with resources, requires us to be strategic in our action and thoughtful in our action and making sure that we apply the right resources at the right time for the most powerful results. And doing that through an informed that informed uh, model uh, that doesn't lose sight of the fact that this is all about helping transform students' lives is what I would hope that the legacy I leave.
2: Oh my gosh, Dr. Mullen, that is a wonderful way to finish the show. It, it touches my heart, it touches my soul. I really appreciate you sharing that perspective and, and that vision and all that you've shared in the show. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
2: I'm really glad that that uh, I was able to find you and connect with you. Um, if you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Jeremy McMillan and Grayson College in, in Denison, Texas, you can visit their website. It's grayson.edu. That's G R A Y S O N.edu. I really have found this conversation to be very inspiring. I am really amazed and Profoundly inspired and impressed by your dedication to your community, to your to your students to really positively matter. Really um, wonderful to behold on the other side. So thank you again, Dr. McMillan. Next week we'll be on the air with dr. Dr. Judy Glick Smith and talk about flow-based leadership and how it can be developed to lead with strength in what are arguably volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times. See you next week, and remember, work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working On Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.